Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo, because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday. We are recording this August 31st, which means it is being released on Labor Day. Woohoo! Happy Labor Day. Hopefully, y'all are uh, listening to this at home. Well, I was going to say, not at work, but at home doesn't mean not at work anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's not a thing anymore. They're one and the same. Uh. So maybe you're like drinking some coffee, you slept in a bit. Mm. Speaking of coffee, um, shameless plug, but maybe it'll make them become sponsors. Have you had Jot yet? J-O-T? Nope. Never heard of it. It's this highly concentrated coffee. Um, it's it's a male subscription service. And oh. I have a couple friends who enjoy it. And one of them sent me some and I am obsessed. Well, what's so great about it? It's so smooth. It doesn't have that same, like, sharp bitterness. Mm-hmm. Um, Does and it I have really cream like... in it? Well, no, you add whatever you want. So you can add water if you want it to just be like a black coffee, or you can add cream and stuff. Like this weekend, I realized if I did half milk, half chocolate milk, it'd be more like a mocha. Ooh, yeah. It was mm-hmm. divine. Absolutely mm. divine. Do you froth your milk? I asked my husband for a frother for my birthday for that purpose. There you go. I read your mind. So is it a cold brew? You can do it either. So this morning, because it is beautifully crisp and cool today, I heated up my milk before adding it and had a nice little warm latte. Oh, that sounds fancy. I know, isn't it? And then do you get kind of that like kind of caffeine rush? No, because, I mean, you're not, like, taking it straight. It's like a normal cup of coffee. Okay. Well, that's great. All right. So, Jot, if you're listening. You should sponsor us because you are keeping the nonprofit sector going right now. (laughs) (laughs) And that is your last free plug. From now on, we will no longer be um, naming you by name. You're going to have to pay for that shit, for sure. (laughs) because <laughs> they're going to see this huge spike in their sales they're going to say what is that from right here I, you know what i'm not even going to drop a link in the show notes don't do it. don't do it don't do it don't do it oh we're so fly sponsors are calling us and they're like how do we get on your podcast <laughs> Hashtag podcast goals. Podcast goals, always. Mm -hmm. Miss Brittany, our our listeners are dying to know, and this is legitimate because I've already gotten two text messages this morning from our last episode. How was your first full week of school? Oh, that's so sweet of people. I know. I was listening to that episode. I love asking my future self questions and then (laughs) hearing it as my future self and thinking, 
huh, did I ever think it was going to be like this? You know, peaks and valleys. Peaks and valleys. It is, oh gosh, I can't, like, he's ruined that that saying forever. I was just about to say it is what it is. He's ruined that mm. saying forever. You know who he yeah. is. He who should not be named. Um, you should say it in French. Which would be a great anticipation of our French episode as well. Okay, <laughs> sera, sera. Yeah, there you go. Um, yes. So it, it, all in all, it's going okay. But I'll just give you a little tidbit today. Um, my kids were dragging ass after <laughs> I asked them over and over and over again. I'm not even going to lie. I said, go put your shoes on. And when I went into the garage where their shoes were, one of them was had no shoes on and was instead doing shadow puppetry. <laughs> and I said, you have got to be kidding me. Why are your shoes not on? And she's like, well, I just saw this on a show and I wanted to try it. And I'm like, I love that you want to get into shadow puppetry. That's amazing. Just not when we're running late for school. And she's like, well, it's not like we're going to be late. I mean, we can just do it at the house. And I'm like, not if you want mom to keep her job. Right. I mean, this is one of two days that you're out of the house. I need you to be out of the house. Please go. We have to go. So I do feel like this homeschooling has created this sense of like this lax nature of like, mm-hmm. well, whatever. We can just, you know, do it whenever we want to do it. So, but otherwise, um, it's going pretty well. I, I did. One of my daughters says she feels invisible, mm. and that made me sad. And my other daughter is extremely social, and not having that daily social interaction with her peers is really hard. Yeah. yeah. So, can can you share with our listeners <laughs> the story of the prank your daughter played on her PE teacher? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. Like the first or second day of school and the teachers, bless their hearts. I mean, they're just trying so hard and they don't realize if somebody's in a learning pod or not. And so they didn't realize that my daughter and her friend were in the same place in the same room. And they each have their iPads, their district uh, given out iPads, whatever that word is. And... um they're doing PE and the PE teacher is saying, okay, 25 jumpy jacks or whatever. And the girls decide to turn their laptop, lap, iPads, God, sorry, iPads towards each other. So they're facing each other. And all of a sudden the PE teacher is saying, I don't understand. Why do I see myself? I just keep seeing myself. <laughs> and the girls are think they're so funny oh i think it's hilarious it's so funny (laughs) it's so funny i know i know and then i like walk in one time and my daughter is i could go on all day this will be the last one i walk in one time and my daughter is laying on the floor 
with her iPad and the dog is sitting in front of the iPad. So all the teacher can see is just white fur. (laughs) And I said, what are you doing? And she's like, what? I'm listening. I've got my headphones on. I'm paying attention. I mean, she's not wrong. I know. (laughs) So there's been some training about like appropriately using your iPad, being at a desk, sitting in front of it, make sure the teacher can see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> First and third grade, man. Ooh. I don't know how these teachers are doing it. Oh, seriously. So thank you for asking, listeners. <laughs> how was your weekend, Nia? Oh, it was uh it was good actually. Um I say actually because I was legitimately surprised that it was good. <laughs> yeah, I bet. You know, when in the current environment and with everything that's going on, I, I try to keep myself busy, right? I, I like to have projects to do. I One of my hobbies is refurnishing, refinishing furniture. Um, but I have no active projects right now. And so it got to Friday night and I was like, I have nothing planned this weekend. That's a lot of time with just me and my thoughts. That's not good. Um, <laughs> and so I... You know, I start the weekend, Saturday morning, went for a bike ride, decided I was kind of bored, didn't even go half the distance I meant to. And then all of these things kind of happened. Um, a friend of mine said, hey, let's go to the farmer's market real quick. Nice. And you can't like spend time at the farmer's market like you normally would. You know, they've got, you know, one-way arrows and they want to keep you moving. Um, but still, it was a lovely like 30-minute break and got to see her, got some of those jumbo pretzels that they have. Love those. Love those. It's a must. Um, And then another friend of mine just randomly was like, hey, you want to go for a walk this afternoon? And it was actually kind of mild on Saturday. So we went for a walk, which turned into dinner and drinks on my patio. Oh, nice. I know. So it ended up actually being quite a lovely weekend, unexpectedly. Um, And then, you know, we're we're into gala season. I don't know if you know that. It's going to be a really busy fall. I, I've been to, I think, three virtual events this month, um, this month being August. I've got at least three planned for September, and I had one late last week, and uh, what made me think of it was actually the story of your daughter, because we get on this virtual event, and they do it house party style, so I was invited by one specific friend, but then we all watched this video of the program together. Well, I'd gotten, like, my drink and popcorn And watching myself eat popcorn was so disturbing (laughs) that I turned my video off a good, like, 30 seconds in. That's hysterical. (laughs) You know, spending so much time watching yourself, as we do right now, I don't think is good for our psyche overall. (laughs) (laughs) So true. It's so true. There's so many questions I want to ask you, but I'm going to refrain. Otherwise, this episode is going to be an hour long. So, Oh, true. Yes. We'll have to have a follow-up convo about your weekend. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, our, our listeners might not ever hear that. That's okay. No. No. Some things need to remain private. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, so on that note... Sometimes I forget like what I talk about on the podcast and then I will be in meetings or on a call with somebody and they will mention something and I'm like, I don't remember talking to you about that. 
And then I realized, like, half my life is now available to the public. <laughs> right? I know. that It always throws me every time that happens. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then, oh, yes. Yeah, I was telling my friend Brittany about this and all the people who downloaded this episode. Awesome. Yeah. And the 100,000 people that listen to uh, Obviously. Yes. <laughs> podcast goals. Okay. So speaking of podcasts that we're doing right now, what is our topic today? <laughs> so speaking of the reason we're here today. Yeah, that's exactly, today? that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So we, we've touched on this a few times and again, thought we'd do a deeper dive today on uh, why not to start a nonprofit. <laughs> Just say no. <laughs> Just say No. And before we dive in, I do want to caveat this. Because that's what we we do. Because that's what we do. (laughs) Nothing is hard and fast. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously we have some strong feelings about starting nonprofits. And there are times when it's appropriate. And I was thinking even locally about some of the nonprofits that have popped up um, that truly serve a need that was not being met. Um, that really worked to engage the community before developing into a nonprofit that have gone about it the right way, essentially. So there are times when it's appropriate. That is just much more the exception than the rule. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So this came up. um, Oh, this came up when we were doing our recording or our session for Boulder Startup Week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one of the attendees there, which was mostly a for-profit startup crowd, asked about starting a nonprofit, and we said, don't do it. <laughs> I think we <laughs> I think we both paused, looked at each other, and then said, uh-uh. No. <laughs> don't do it. Mm-mm. Don't do it. Don't, no. don't do it. Don't do it. I can't tell you... How many times I hear people say that, whether it's um, on TV or, you know, the news or, you know, donors or volunteers or something. Oh, yeah. And then my daughter started, wants to start this nonprofit. Constantly. Well, I think I sent you that TikTok of this, um, this woman entrepreneur who is basically like, you want to make a difference? Start a nonprofit. Here's what you do. You get a board. You you file this. And I was like, no. 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 <laughs> Stop that. What the fuck are you talking about? So why are we saying that? Because there's a million fucking nonprofits. I think that's one of the big issues. But I also think... The kinds of people who are most likely to start nonprofits in the kind of way we're talking about are not the people who should be starting fucking nonprofits. It's people who are like, I just, I need meaning in my life, right? Like I want to do some good. I found this issue that I want to solve. Yes, I've been in real estate my entire life, but I I think I I read an article once about sex trafficking, so I want to help. Right. Like, No. No. You are not the people who should be starting nonprofits. Yeah. It's, it goes back to us constantly saying a nonprofit is a business. 
Yes. So it's essentially being an entrepreneur, starting your own business, but harder. So much harder. (laughs) Right? So much harder. Because essentially, I mean, you've got to create a board. You have to... Um, and then that board is essentially your boss. You have to fundraise for your own salary. So get ready to do that. You got to have programming that people are going to want to support. People aren't going to support programming that's already being done by five other nonprofits in the same community. Right. So it's, it's not like you're just building a widget and trying to sell a widget. It's like you're building a widget, but then you need evaluation data on how that widget's working, and you can't get funding to actually build the widget till you have that evaluation data. So you're looking at doing it pro bono for a few years. Yep. And even then, like how that funding's going to work, you know, it's hard to say. So yeah, it's it's not like just starting a small business and you're up and running and you're going to go do good. Well, and I feel like if you were going to start a business, mm-hmm. let's say I was going to start a business. Let's say I was going to start a yoga studio. Awesome. One of the very first things I would do is look to see if there's any other yoga studios where I live. Yep. Right? Now, it doesn't necessarily mean I wouldn't start it if there are other yoga studios, But I would look and see, okay, how many other studios are there? What is the demand for yoga in the community in which I live? Is the market already saturated? I would create a business plan, right, Right. that would be based on that information. And that's the steps that I feel are missing when people decide they want to start a nonprofit. They assume that they're the only one who's ever thought that pets need homes. Right. Yeah, there's like this level of hubris in planning. And I I think it goes back to what you were saying before. People don't think of nonprofits as businesses. Right. And so there's this thought that anybody can do it. If if you have a heart of gold, you can start a successful nonprofit. And it doesn't work that way. You have to be planful. Like the, the two local nonprofits that I'm thinking of that were startups, they got their 501c3 in the last, I'd say, three years or so. They had significant extensive planning processes. They brought community groups together. They, they developed a true business plan for how they were going to roll out this programming and their operations over a multi-year period. Right. It doesn't just happen because you say you want to help some folks. Exactly. Exactly. And so once you then decide that you want to start something, look to see if anybody else is already doing that work. Because again, it seems silly to even restate it, but I'm going to because I have to recognize that some people, they pop in and out of episodes and they don't listen maybe to all the episodes before this one since now we're at what, 50? (laughs) No. No? I think this is like 37, 38, something like Oh, okay. That. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Um, I guess 50-something would be over a year. Yeah. A full year. Yeah. Yeah. Still, that's like, yeah. Okay. But we, we already have talked about so many times that nonprofits are in competition for the same funding. 
over and over and over again. Honestly, whether that's from a foundation, from a government source, like your city or county, or even from individual donors, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because everybody can probably talk, they can think on the top of their head of, you know, the top five most philanthropic people in their community. And that's who everybody is trying to get an audience with, right? Right. And, And so one thing that funders constantly look for is duplication of services. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what you have to demonstrate in your grant reports or in your grant applications is that you're not duplicating services that's already being offered by somebody else in the community. Mm -hmm. So if you start a nonprofit where there's already other nonprofits doing the same work, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder to get funding for it. Yeah. And this too is where I think people mislead themselves to think that their idea is so unique. Like to take your example, you want to house pets. Well, we're going to do it with blue houses because that's more soothing and that's better for their psyche. But there is this other organization that does red houses and they've been doing it for like 20, 30 years. But, you know, you should still fund us instead. Right. And it's like, no, that is not how this works. And I know part of this is that scarcity mentality that, right, there's never enough money. But at the same time, this is where market forces should come into play. Yes. Red houses versus blue houses, it doesn't matter as long as the animals are getting housed. Maybe you can go to the red housed nonprofit and talk about why blue houses would be better for them. Right. Maybe they can do a spinoff pilot program even for blue housing for animals. Right. But you don't have to start an entire nonprofit to do that. It perpetuates the nonprofit hunger games. Right. It It really does. does. And, and I think it just, it goes against what we've been saying over and over again as well, that get to know the organizations already in your community. I mean, Mm -hmm. a nonprofit that's been around for 25, 30 years, they know some shit, right? They've obviously been able to make it work for 30 years. So why wouldn't you want to support that? Yeah. And so... Yes, you want to be involved. You want to do the work. Well, these nonprofits need you. You know, volunteer for these nonprofits. You want to do the work. You have this new idea like you're talking about with Blue Houses. Go to these nonprofits, but first get to know them and what they're already doing before (laughs) you try to come in and tell them that their programming sucks and that you have the best way to do it. But then over time, after building that relationship... Talk about how you have an idea. See if that's in line with their program philosophy. And if it is, fund it. Mm -hmm. Give them the money to do it. Can we talk about an unpopular opinion with this? What's that? The the Ivy League do-gooders who start nonprofits that are actually successful, but maybe shouldn't be. Because they just get their friends to help fund them? Yeah. So it's been a total trend over the last, I'd say, decade or so that like all of these Ivy League programs, MBAs have started some sort of social entrepreneurship program. And some of it is just meant to promote social good, you know, become a B Corps, give back, recognize your position in the larger community. But then some of them have really funneled these folks into starting nonprofits. And they, you know, if, if you're in one of these MBA programs, you're probably highly connected. You probably have a good amount of privilege you're bringing with you. Right. And so you start a nonprofit and boom, it gets that funding and it gets the attention and it gets the lights and the glitter and you get awards for it. 
when maybe there was actually somebody already doing that work. Maybe that nonprofit that was already doing that work was actually run by a person of color who is in that community that you're trying to serve. Right. And so now we have, and it's a legitimate problem. I wish I had numbers to put towards it, but we know that these organizations have propagated where you have these founders who are well-connected, well-resourced, will make the funding work regardless of how well that programming actually operates and what kind of equity issues it perpetuates. Yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. You did pull some numbers, though, didn't you? I've got a couple of little ones. Um, So... I, I want to give these, again, with a caveat or two. The National Center on Charitable Statistics says that 30% of nonprofits will fail within 10 years. They will fully shutter and close. If you compare that to small business numbers, it actually looks like the nonprofit sector is doing much better. But the vast majority of nonprofits are very small. Um, 15% of nonprofits have budgets under a quarter million dollars under $250,000. Sorry, 15% have budgets over that. Okay, that makes sense. I reversed I like, wait, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. So 85% of nonprofits are incredibly small. And that doesn't mean that small nonprofits can't do great things, but many of them are, are small. They're, you know, community agencies of volunteers, and maybe they don't even have paid staff. And so the scaling on their services is incredibly difficult. Right. But it does allow you to kind of bump along for a number of years without really getting to that growth or the point at which failure requires closure. Right. So, you know, as we're looking at the sector as a whole, and again, I don't want to perpetuate the scarcity mentality, but if we have 1.8 million nonprofits in the U.S., there's likely an organization that is doing some sort of related work to whatever your idea is. The organizations that are new and startup and are successful are truly bringing those community partners to the table. So maybe it is a, an area of need, right? Like a service right. that is truly not served. But you're going to be bringing in everybody else. Like to think that your causal area isn't impacted by this larger ecosystem of nonprofits, again, gets back to that hubris that we so often see in nonprofit startups. Yeah, well, and that you bring up such a great point with the partnership that has to happen within the sector mm -hmm. to really affect true change, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, when you come in um, on the scene, you know, blazing in, thinking that you know how to do things and people are not going to want to work with you particularly if you're duplicating services of someone that they're already partnered with and have been partnered with for decades. Yeah. Well, I know we've and I've seen that happen. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, I know we've referenced winners take all before, but um, in the book they, they talk about the um, some of the big consulting firms like McKinsey who basically plucks students immediately from graduation, puts them into these positions to consult with organizations many of which are startups, mm -hmm. you know, kind of wanting to get to that scaling piece. Well, if you don't understand the nonprofit sector and the nonprofit ecosystem, how are you able to provide those kind of services? 
Yeah. Right. Like I, I can put in the, the best theory of scaling for an organization, but if I don't understand how the sector works, I, it's not gonna be successful. It just isn't. Right. Exactly. Well, I remember at a place that I used to work at, <laughs> this group came in, of course, well-intentioned, right? Um, and they wanted to start a nonprofit that had similar programming to ours, but kind of like in your example of blue houses and red houses, they just changed it. They, mm-hmm. that instead of it being in apartment buildings, it was on a farm or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, the way that we found out about them is that they listed us as a partner of theirs on their website. What? Yes. <laughs> yes. But we had not met them and had no idea who they were. Sure, they were serving the same demographic that we were serving or were going to serve the same demographic that we were serving. Um, but we had never actually spoken to them. So by the time they eventually came through our front door, I mean, I'll just be honest, we didn't want anything to do with them. Of course not. Why would we you were, at that point? We were so offended. We had been in the community for 50 plus years doing this work and they thought that they could just come in, list us as a partner and I don't know, duplicate the services that we had been doing for years and years and years. I would love to know what they thought partnership was. Like we read it, the organization's website and, uh, copied how their programs operate. So we're partners. Yeah. And I have no idea what happened with them. It dissolved. It never came to fruition. They had a website. Maybe they did some programming for a hot minute and then it dissolved. Dissolved. Yeah. And this too, I think we need to keep in mind, especially when we're talking about human services organizations, what it means when an organization opens up, provides services, and then collapses. The ripple effects of that are probably more significant than the service not being provided at all. Yeah. Yep. Well said. At the same time, can we talk about founders of nonprofit startups? (sighs) Gosh. (laughs) So I used to work in the scuba diving industry. This is super random, but just stay with me, okay? Okay. And one of my jobs was that I traveled around the country visiting dive shops. Okay. Okay, So I worked for a company and I went into dive shops and I tried to talk them into doing our training courses and offering different things that my company offered. And over and over and over again, I met the most unique, um, quirky people who owned these dive shops. What they all had in common is that they loved scuba diving, Mm -hmm. had a huge passion for it. But none of the, I shouldn't say none of them, but the majority of them didn't, they didn't have a robust business because they knew nothing about running a business. Right. Right? Right. So sometimes when I think of founders of nonprofits, it's the same thing. I mean, clearly they have a huge passion Mm -hmm. for the mission, right? It is a driver in their life, but they know nothing about building out a company, uh, 
management, any of those kinds of things, mm-hmm. but yep. still want to remain solely in control. Yep. Yep. Is that what your experience has been? Oh, totally. Well, and I, I, I mean, there's exactly- the term there, sorry, but there's the term founder syndrome for a reason. Yeah. Founderitis is a total Founderitis. issue. That sounds like a skin condition. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I got a little founderitis on my arm. <laughs> but yeah, it is a big, big issue. Founder syndrome not only holds back progress within organizations because you have this founder that is so tied to the way things have been done, the way their vision was, but it also doesn't look very good from the outside. Right? Like if I see an organization that's had the same executive director for 20 years who was also the founder, I'm worried about stagnation. Right. Exactly. There's no new growth. Right. Right. Or the growth is, how do I put this? I just think of the mission drifty organizations. Mm -hmm. Like there's one organization in particular I can think of, and it, it is that classic example that I was using earlier. A very privileged person saw an issue, decided to start addressing it. It grew very quickly as an organization because they had um, a a lot of connections. Yeah. Yeah. Little connections, business connections, got a ton of money, resources, et cetera. And then their mission grew to a place where then they were really um, trying to provide additional services that were often duplicative that they didn't necessarily have the staff with expertise to deliver that was not being done in a trauma-informed way. And of course that is massively important in any kind of human services organization. And as a partner organization, I'm putting partner in quotes. I see them. Um, <laughs> but our <laughs> listeners don't, so I have to say it. <laughs> as a partner organization, it was both disconcerting and really fucking frustrating. Yeah. Because some of the services we were actually providing, and we had the background, the skills, the 20-year history to be providing those services that now they were doing as like a side hustle, essentially. Right. Well, and that's the trap that you can fall into as well, is that if some person starts it, and I get it, maybe they're getting their seed money from their networks off the bat, but then if the revenue model is reliant on that, and then they leave... 20 years later, yeah, then you lose all that funding. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, here's a call that if you are going to start a nonprofit, that you really have the goal in mind to diversify your revenue stream and grow it out of your network as fast as you can so that if you were to leave, it could be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is going to be an entire episode once you listen to it. And I know I've already primed you, but uh, you need to listen to the first episode of the podcast, Nice White Parents. Really fascinating. I mean, the entire season is really interesting. Um, And of course, there are some critiques of the season in itself. But the first episode is really about PTA fundraising. Mm -hmm. And why I'm bringing it up now is because at one point, this group of nice white parents who had connections, who are bringing in all these dollars, wanted to spin off a private foundation 
so that they could restrict the dollars they were fundraising and bypass the existing PTA that had been raising money, who had students in that school for years, who were community-based. That's so fucked up. So (laughs) fucked up. But, like, that is, like, a very specific example of this larger issue of when do-gooders start nonprofits and have these connections and bring money in, you're probably leaving somebody else behind. Yeah. And you got to figure out who that is and how the fuck to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to listen to it. I know you told me about it. And without that daily commute, I got to find the time. I know. I know. I binged the entire season yesterday while I was like cleaning the house. Oh, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are there any points that we're missing? Well, I think our takeaway is uh, don't start a nonprofit. (laughs) So I don't know. It's been a while since maybe we've mentioned our, our man boo. Um, But I did happen to read his blog post today. Did you? I haven't read it yet. No. Um, oh gosh, I feel like the po- it's called both sidery of maybe I'm maybe that's not the term, but the, essentially his whole post is a, about how we in the sector try to give both sides as a way to oh. claim that we're including diverse opinions and inclusive, but yet we're doing more harm when there really is not two sides to it. So the example he gives is um, about climate change and Mm. how when we give voice to the other side that claims that it's non-existent, we're actually perpetuating, you know, this lie. And so in a way to feel like we're being inclusive, we are giving them voice when we really should just be like, "Uh -uh, that's not true. So let's not even talk about it. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's true. We do that. And we did that on this episode. Yeah, but I think we were much more specific. Totally. But I do think that it is trained in us, especially in the sector, of to always be like, well, to give the disclaimers, to say, you know, well, there is other sites. And it's true. There is inevitably going to be gaps in... um, in needs and we need people to step up and to help fill those because mm-hmm. it's not provided by the government. Right. So it's true that yes, there are t- certain times and places where it makes sense to start this nonprofit with all the caveats that we gave of like making sure you're doing your due diligence, creating a business plan, you're bringing in the community to get um, their feedback on it. You're bringing together all the partners involved but I don't know. It's I guess my point is that it struck a chord his as mm-hmm. his blog posts usually do, and I notice how much I find myself doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, two things. First off, when you said cidery, I really thought we were going to talk about cider, and I'm kind of bummed <laughs> that that's not where we were going. Um, secondly, everybody should tune in next week when we talk about politics and fundraising, and it will be one-sided. Because there is no equivocating on that shit right now. So tune in next week. Boom. A little teaser. I like it. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's all I got. That's all I got. Uh, You can find us Facebook, Instagram, at Nonprofit Reframe. 
please, please, please email us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. We love hearing from listeners. Uh, we love hearing your stories. We love just hearing that people are actually listening out there. So it reminds us, us that we need to maybe sometimes monitor what comes out of our mouths because <laughs> it is for public consumption. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, if you can, if you have capacity, now is the time to step up and support these nonprofits, these local nonprofits that we're talking about. Please give and give generously. Thanks, everybody. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.